happen to be um, if you are watching our service either live or perhaps at a later time. That's kind of the new reality that, it, that has occurred to me in the last couple of weeks that, that uh, we are a culture of choice and all of a sudden church, when we engage in worship, has become a choice. Um, maybe we have uh, something else we need to do on a Sunday morning, but we can join in worship uh, through the technology that is available to us. That's, that's kind of crazy. And I don't know about you, but one of the things that I yearn for right now, after all these months in the middle of this uh, pandemic, is some sense of normalcy. And uh, yesterday was as close to a normal day as my wife and I have experienced since we've been here in Kansas City area. And th this is what happened. We got invited by some friends to go on a bike ride. So we did a little 15-mile bike ride. I don't know if any of you have heard, but there's a, there's a sort of a uh, heat wave going on here in the central United States. So about 9 o'clock in the morning, it's about 90 degrees or uh, high 80s with high humidity. But, but it was a sort of, it was almost normal. And then uh, later yesterday afternoon, we went to some friend's place and sat on their pontoon boat and chatted as the sun set. And I can't think of two more kind of normal things. Well, maybe it seems unnormal to you, but for us it was kind of, it, it felt like things were normal. And I, I yearn for that. And I guess that's one of the reasons why I really like the Psalms is because in a certain sense the psalmist is pre presenting uh, probably the most normal uh, relationship with God albeit sometimes tenuous, and sometimes the psalmist is angry, and sometimes the psalmist is overflowing with joy, but there's a, there's a sense of normalcy to that. So as we find ourselves in this uh, series of sermons called Summer in the Psalms, I hope you are getting a sense of sort of the normal, mundane character of, uh, of the psalmist's uh, faith and, 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 and the depth that he goes sometimes to struggle with God over some of the things that are going on in his life. Well, with that said, let me read for you Psalm 139, which will be the, the uh, psalm that we reflect upon today. And it's, it, it's a little longer psalm, but I'll, I'll try to read it with as much vigor as I can. Uh, if you have a Bible with you, if you have an electronic device and you want to read it along with me, you're welcome to do so. Psalm 139. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from far away. You searched out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all of my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, O Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before and you lay your hand on me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is so high that I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and settle at the farthest limits of the sea, you are there. Even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold, hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light around me shall become night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light to you. For it was you who formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, 
that I know very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes beheld my unformed substance. In your book were written all the days that were formed for me, when none of them has yet existed. How weighty to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. I try to count them, and they are more than the grains of the sand. I come to the end, and I am still with you. Can, can you not sense in that psalm the sort of the repose and the confidence that the psalmist has in knowing that he is made uniquely by God for ministry of some kind? See, one of the challenges that I have experienced in my faith and life and what I have observed in many people over the course of my ministry, uh, being people of faith, is, is that living day to day with the understanding that somehow our faith is not simply an add-on to an already busy life, but faith is integral to every aspect of our lives. Faith is sort of the center point from which all of the other activities of our lives revolve around. Our faith, then, is meant to be lived moment by moment and day by day, and it's meant to be at the center. There's meant to be this, this conscious awareness of the presence of God with us at all times. And I think that this psalm that I just read for you kind of uh, speaks to that conscious awareness on the part of the psalmist. Now, for some of us, recognizing God once a week on Sunday is plenty. For others, the ease with which we forget God's presence in our daily lives gives us a, a little twinge of guilt, even, even as I'm mentioning it right now. And, and sometimes that guilt prompts us to reinvest ourselves in, a, in our faith by, by making a commitment to read the Bible or, or to pray more or, or, or sometimes even to give more. But that rarely ever lasts. You see, the dilemma of feeling distance from God is not a new problem. The medieval mystics also described this same problem, and they, when they felt distance from God, uh, they tried to address this problem by the monks would move out into the desert, and they would live in a cave or a, or a hut, and they would, they would devote the rest of their lives to prayer and paying attention to God's presence. Now, for some of us, that may not look too attractive, but that was one of the ways that they attempted to deal with this, with this dilemma of being distracted and not letting God's presence be preeminent in their lives. And sometimes, even after taking all these extreme measures to experience God's presence, it was, it was still extraordinarily difficult. Thomas Merton, the Catholic writer, says, just remaining quietly in the presence of God, listening to him, being attentive to him, requires a lot of courage and know-how. And I think he's right. So if, if your practice of the presence of God is, is a little sporadic, or maybe even non-existent for long periods of time, how do we reactivate our, our faith and our recognition that God is present with us all of the time and not just occasionally? 
That's, that's the kind of prevailing question I want for us to wrestle with this morning as we look at this psalm. Psalm 139, I think, is a great place for us to begin exploring that question. This psalm gives us a picture of God's desire to be in relationship with us. The psalmist describes God's intimate knowledge of each of us. And then the psalmist describes his experience uh, in the midst of that, of, of God's apparent absence And then finally, the psalmist proclaims his confidence in God's purposes for his future. So let's take a look at God's intimate familiarity with us first. The psalmist declares, and I read this for you a minute ago, O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from far away. In short, There is nothing that God does not know about us. There is no thought that we have that God isn't aware of. There is no distance that we can travel that limits God's ability and desire to know us. Just think about that for a moment. There is no distance that we can travel that limits God's ability and desire to know us. And I'm not just talking about physical distance. I'm talking about emotional and psychological and sort of internal, metaphorical distance sometimes. A couple of years ago, Roxy and I went on a sabbatical to Melbourne, Australia, and we uh, drove along the, the great southern highway all the way out to South Australia, and we, um, we, we, we took a ferry to an island called Kangaroo Island, and then we drove to the furthest western tip of Kangaroo Island, and the f- uh, first evening that we were there, we stayed in a lighthouse keeper's cottage. And I think the, uh, there's a picture of this lighthouse and the view that we had uh, from that place. And um, that first evening we were there, as we were walking around this point of this, where this lighthouse was located, we, we looked kind of south-southwest across the southern ocean. And we were told that the next closest land mass south of us from that location was Antarctica. And I thought, I have never been in this remote of a location in my entire life. And, and according to the psalmist... Even there, we could not escape God's presence. God knows when we are awake, and God knows when we are weary, and God knows when we are frustrated, and God knows when we are hurt, and God knows the words that we speak even before we speak them. God's knowledge of us is not prompted by God's obsessive desire to catch us in our sin, which is sometimes the way I think that we mistakenly frame it. God's desire for intimacy with us is based in what a spiritual writer Parker Palmer calls to know and be known. Uh, a desire on God's part to know us intimately and to be known by us intimately. To know and be known is, is how we have been created by God. It's, it's how we've been wired And God's intimate knowledge of us is motivated by God's desire that we also know the heart of God. God's desire is to know us in a mutually enriching relationship. So it's not just a one-way deal that God chases us around, like, like perhaps we chased around our toddler children to keep them from getting in trouble or hurting themselves. It's not like that. God knows us, and God wants to be known by us. Well, the psalmist understands God's desire for intimacy when he writes 
at verse 1, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. See, all this talk about intimacy with God may not be how you are accustomed or even comfortable speaking about your relationship with God. I understand that. We all come from various uh, uh, religious traditions, and sometimes that intimacy language can be off-putting or, or even feel a little awkward to talk about a relationship with God like that. And it's okay to use other language if you prefer to describe your relationship with God, as long as you understand that at the core... God desires to have this mutually enriching relationship with you. The psalmist moves from describing God's intimate familiarity to resting in God's apparent absence. This is a, this is a common theme that we see in the psalms. There always seems to be a place in the psalms where the psalmist is wrestling with God's absence, and, and here again we see it in this psalm. He writes at verse 7, Where can I go from your spirit where I can flee from your presence? Now, I don't think the psalmist is contemplating hiding from God at this point. But I do think that the psalmist has already attempted to hide, and he's discovered that it is an exercise in futility. There is no place that you can go, even if you travel to the farthest western point of Kangaroo Island off the coast of South Australia. God is still there. If he goes to heaven, God is there. If he goes to the place of the dead, Sheol, God is there. If he, if he takes a long boat ride to the edge of the sea, God is there. But more than that, God isn't just present wherever the psalmist tries to hide. God, God's right hand, the scripture says, holds fast. Now, I, I was curious about this phrase, holding fast, so I looked it up. Holding fast comes from the world of chemistry. And when two chemicals are mixed together under the proper set of circumstances, and when, uh, and when they bond together, they are said to hold fast. What began as two separate compounds becomes a single compound that ca cannot be easily disentangled. When hydrogen binds with oxygen, it holds fast. When God has an intimate relationship with us, there is no amount of pressure or force that can pull us apart because God holds fast. Wow. In my experience, the feeling of the absence of God is not that God has gone anywhere, but that we are the ones who've often moved away from God. Is that true for you as well? We are the ones who have become distracted. We are the ones who have lost track of our relationship with God somehow in the midst of the busyness of our lives. And similar to what I've described in my sermon last week, when we experience this, this sense of God's absence, which is true for, for many of us, if not all of us, it's at those moments of darkness that God's light is revealed. And it's the psalmist who says, for even in the darkness, it is not too dark for God. The psalm is pointing, I think, to a profound truth about the character of God. Where God is, darkness cannot overcome the light. One of the challenges that uh, uh, one faces when they, they hike in the wilderness, backpack in the wilderness, which I've done a little bit of myself over the years. It's uh, trying to find and collect uncontaminated water. 
And up until a few years ago, the primary way that you did it, well, a number of years ago, the primary way you did it is you boiled your water, and that's how you cleaned it. Uh, but then there are charcoal uh, water retrieval systems with pumps and all kinds of things. And, and you spend a good deal of your day trying to uh, pull clean water into your drinking containers because you need water when you're uh, out in the wilderness. But recently, they have come up with a little device that you can put in a contaminated container of water, which is ultraviolet light, and, and it kills all of the harmful bacteria. The light, in this case, is the purifying component that makes the water safe. This is what I think the psalmist is describing, that where there is darkness, both in our world and in our lives, uh, where God is, God's purifying light uh, kind of overcomes that darkness. When we feel distant from God, when our hearts are weary and God seems like he's far away, the psalmist reminds us of God is faithful, God is present, and God isn't going anywhere anytime soon. Finally, the psalmist describes the moment from experiencing God's absence to a life where we begin to allow God's creative purpose to guide us into a, a different future. The psalmist writes, it was you, God, who knew me while I was still in the womb. It was you who had a hand in the very fabric of my creation. God's purposes for us are, are not an afterthought. God has formed us from the very beginning and continues to walk beside us even to the end of our lives. God's creative purpose for us is that we have a hope and a future that brings meaning and fulfillment no matter how difficult the circumstances might be that we find ourselves in. I'm a, I'm a big fan of the show The Voice, and I, I suspect there's a couple of you out there who are also voice lovers. And a few years ago, there was a, a contestant on The Voice who was an African woman named Keshi. And when she was a teen, she was on a plane traveling home from boarding school somewhere in Africa for the holidays. The plane crashed, and she was the only survivor. And she was burned over most of her body. To look at Keshi, her face shows the evidence of ma um, massive plastic surgeries, multiple plastic surgeries, sorry, and, and through multiple skin grafts and these surgeries, she is better than she was, but she still bears the scars of that plane crash. And when she walked onto the stage for the first time, she walks with a little bit of a limp, and her face is, is a little bit misshapen, and her eyebrows have been burned off. And the audience uh, was quiet as they watched her walk out to the center of the stage to begin to sing. And then she began to sing. And the voice that came out of that young woman was like the voice of an angel. God had used Keshi's experience of suffering to bring hope to those who look at themselves in the mirror and wonder, what was God thinking? Out of this woman whose life, for all practical purposes, had been destroyed, came this most beautiful, melodic sound. Now, I don't believe for a moment that, that God caused the plane crash. I don't believe that God can and does use tragedy, excuse me, tragedy and suffering uh, to, to somehow um, 
make us look worse or, or, or make himself look better. But I do believe this. I believe that in spite of what happened to Keshi, there was a giftedness that God had created in her that God was still willing and interested to use if Keshi was, was willing herself. And sometimes I think, just like Keshi, we figure out uh, that, that there's a purpose for the things that we are going through. There's a purpose for the struggles that we are facing or have faced. There's a purpose for the things that aren't perfect about us that God fully intends to use because we have been beautifully and wonderfully made just as we are. That's what the psalmist says. And in the end, in the midst of life's challenges, we can find a a sense of contentment and a sense of meaning in life when we recognize that that we were not an accident, that God intends to use us, flaws and all. This past week, talk about normalcy, I went to the dentist, and uh, I I don't know about you, but I get all kinds of dental anxiety when I go to the dentist and... and, uh, and I don't know why. I mean, I've done it hundreds of times probably at this point. But I'd never been to this dentist before. And, of course, they want to probe and poke and figure out how, you know, how, how my teeth are. And, and uh, I, I, I kind of go through this fast um, history of my mouth because the dentist doesn't know me usually on the first attempt. And, and um, I have struggled my entire life. And I hesitate talking about this, but the fact that I am, I think, uh, is really interesting because there would have been a time in my life when I, ne- when I wouldn't have. But I, I have struggled most of my life from when I was in junior high on with the fact that my teeth are not white. They're kind of an off-white color. And that's because when I was an infant, I took a medicine called tetracycline. And so in the early uh, 60s, mid-60s, there are a lot of babies that had ear infections or had, uh, that received this, this medicine, and uh, th- their teeth are not white because of this. And, uh, and it was funny because when I, I, uh, I met this dentist for the first time, I said, yeah, my teeth aren't white, I'm a, I'm a tetracycline baby. And she goes, yeah. She goes, I see that a lot. And, and um, I, I guess I tell you that because for a long time, it was an obstacle for me. Sometimes I would, I would, I would get ready to go to school in junior high and high school and go, God, why can't I have white teeth? And, 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 and then it dawned on me at some point, and I think it might have been not something too different than this psalm, where I realized that having white teeth is not the be-all and end-all of what God wants to do with me and in me. And I guess what I'm telling you that story, and it's kind of a personal story, and I don't know where this is going to go, but I'm telling you this because my hunch is that there's a whole bunch of you sitting out there right now that have all kinds of reasons why you are imperfect for one reason or another. And I want you to know that this psalm speaks at the very heart of what it means to be created wonderfully and beautifully by God. As I conclude my reflection today on Psalm 139, I would ask you to consider uh, your own relationship with God for a moment. Are are you at a place where you can receive the the, the recognition that who you are is exactly the way that God created you to be, and it's, it's out of that sense of brokenness that God wants to use you? Or are you someone who's found contentment in God's intimate knowledge of you? 
Are you prepared to say, I desire to know God and be known by God? Or are you someone who only pays attention to God when God fits into your schedule? Are you right now at this moment experiencing God's absence? Or have you come to understand that even in God's apparent absence, God is holding fast to you and nothing can separate you from God's embrace? Finally, when you look in the mirror, do you, do you see all the flaws? <laughs> Do you see all the failures that look back at you? And then do you find yourself questioning, how could God ever use a broken person like me? Or do you see somebody who is beautifully and wonderfully made, who God has created with a purpose and with a future? Dr. Paul Brand, he's a um, medical doctor, a physician, he wrote a book a number of years ago called In His Image, and he says it better than I ever could, so I'm going to conclude with this, this quote, but listen to this. Human self-image thrives on physical attractiveness, athletic ability, a worthwhile occupation, but paradoxically, he says, any of those desirable qualities may raise a barrier against the image of God. Huh. For Virtually any quality that a person can rely on makes it more difficult for that person to rely on the Spirit of God. The beautiful, the strong, the politically powerful, and the rich do not easily represent God's image. Rather, His Spirit shines most brightly through the frailty of the weak, the impotency of the poor, and the deformity of the hunchback. Even as bodies are broken, his image can grow brighter. Even as bodies are broken, God's image can grow brighter. Yes. Psalm 139 confirms what Dr. Brand has so astutely observed. God's desire is to have intimacy with us. God, uh, God's apparent absence is not a uh, God's problem, but it's probably our problem. And finally, the hope of being guided into a meaningful future all rests on the fact that no matter how flawed we may be, God is creating something beautiful. And that's something that no one can take away from us. No one can take that away. There are some questions that will show up on your screen. I'm going to pray right now and then uh, we're going to finish our time of worship together. Lord, I pray that you would uh, enable us to come to that place of understanding where, where the flaws and the failures that we, uh, that we exhibit are exactly the place where you want to begin to reveal yourself through us. Would you make something beautiful out of us, even if it doesn't feel that way sometimes? I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.